The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A man uncovers a mystery underneath a pile of wood. A dude out for a hike gets a bizarre assignment. And then we answer once and for all how to sell your soul to the devil and what the cost actually is today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. We got a ton of stuff to cover, so we're going to get this party started. First, let's give a shout-out to one of our legacy Patreons, Tayshana V. Tayshana V, thank you so much for continuing to support the show. You've been supporting the show for a while. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine, too. Just help get the word out about the show. That really really helps out a lot. So, Tayshana, let's go ahead and we're going to start off in the Jason Jalopy. We are going to take a little road trip out to Safford, Arizona. Car, uh, it sounds like someone's tuning into Banjo, so I think we should tune the engine. The Jason Jalopy is going all the way down to Safford, Arizona. It's September 18th, 2020. Just a few days ago, this happened. It's 9.30 at night. And there's this dude, he's this old man, he's out walking around his house, and he walks past this woodpile. And in the woodpile, he hears a strange noise. He's like, what? That's, that's weird. It sounds like an adult man trying to imitate a baby and a cat at the same time. Old man is perplexed. He's never heard that sound before, because he doesn't listen to this podcast. So he walks over to the woodpile. He's like, now it sounds like it's trying to laugh like an adult male. He begins removing the wood and underneath this pile of wood in his backyard, it's 9.30 p.m., super dark, super spooky, he sees a pile of mud and it's moving and it's making that noise. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to do it again, but just rewind it and then fast forward to this part, you'll hear the noise again. He sees this pile of mud moving. What in tarnation is this? He picks up the mud he realizes quickly, it's not its not a mud monster, if that's what you're hoping for, if that's your fetish. He picks up this pile of mud, and he realizes that it's a human baby. And he's like, what? I've seen babies all over the globe, but I've never seen a baby under a pile of wood before. He calls out his wife, I don't know what her name is, we'll call her old-timey name, Ethel, Ethel! And the, this takes place in September 18th, 2020. I don't know why I'm acting like it takes place in 1892. Ethel grabs the horse drawn cart and she jumps out what's going on pa and he's like look at this look at this muddy baby and they're like oh that's awful where'd you find it underneath the wood pile and then the old man starts <laughs> imitating that noise she's like knock it off they start washing the baby off they start cleaning this baby off i mean i think the first thing you should do is probably like get it inside to where it's warm you just found it under a pile of wood also make sure there's no black widows on it because you, then you just drop the baby because spiders are gross They start wiping this mud off this baby, and they get to a layer of flesh. 
They get because that's how that's how mud works, right? You move it off a human body, you see parts of the body. And they're now they're seeing scratches on this baby, and they're like, oh my. And they keep washing the mud off. And then they notice the baby has a poop-filled diaper, which was in the news article, but I think that was the least of his worries at this point, right? They're like, he was covered in mud. And also, he stink like poop. But anyways, they clean... I don't know if they changed his diaper right there. But as they're cleaning the mud off of him, they clean it off, like, from the... F- start off at the feet. They're slowly moving up the thighs, and they move to a little baby belly. And then they smudge away mud from the baby's face. It's their grandson. The grandma walks into the house. And sitting in the house is Destiny Ballard. She's 22 years old, and the mother... Of the woodpile baby. But it wasn't born in a woodpile. This baby is like four months old. It normally isn't covered up by wood. Grandma walks in and goes, hey, uh, Destiny, something really weird just happened outside. So Destiny goes, oh, yeah, sure. Um, let me pause the Alfred Hitchcock Classics collection here. Uh, what's up? What's up, Mom? What did you find that was weird outside in the woodpile? And Grandma's like, okay, I didn't mention the woodpile. That was you. But I'm a little concerned. Uh, where is my grandson? And at this point, Destiny looks at her mom, and a little tear comes to Destiny's eye, and she goes, I didn't know how to break the news to you, Mom, but a couple hours ago, my son died. She just kind of just fell over and died, and I haven't seen him since, and I didn't alert anyone to the fact that he was dead somewhere in the house. Do you mind if I turn back on my movie? The grandma's like, whoa, whoa, wait a second, so you're telling me your son died, my grandson died. Yeah, yeah, he died earlier. He's like uh, crib death or something, but there was no crib involved. He was just walking and fell over. And Grandma's like, okay, well, that's disturbing, but explain to me this. And she was holding the, she was holding the baby behind her back the whole time. The baby was perfectly quiet. They put a little bit of mud, put a little mud mask on him so he can't talk. Explain to me this. And she pulls out this baby and then breaks the mud off of his face. And Destiny's actual quote, all that stuff, I don't know if the grandma pulled a prank or if she was watching the Alfred Hitchcock collection, but Destiny's actual quote. So what actually happened was, before I made all that stuff up, baby was found in the woodpile. The grandma does come in and ask Destiny, hey, where's your kid? Destiny goes, oh, he died earlier. The grandma goes, then why did we find him underneath a pile of wood? And Destiny's actual quote is, he must have reincarnated. So she's in jail now. She she's in jail now. She buried that baby underneath the wood at nine in the morning. He was underneath that wood pile for twelve hours, and it's just a miracle that the grandpa was walking by and he heard that baby. Otherwise, he would have been out there all night long. It would have gotten even more muddy. So a miracle that he was found in time. But a couple of questions: If you had a baby at your house, right? You have a baby, and one day you're walking through your backyard, and you see a mud-covered baby in your backyard. Wouldn't your immediate thought be, that must be my baby, because there's no other babies around, right? Would you think, I don't know whose baby this is. That was true, too. They kept saying in these articles, the grandma and grandpa didn't know it was their grandson until they cleaned the baby up. I think the fact that there's a baby that's 500 yards (laughs) within where you're, that might be too big, but maybe 50 feet. Otherwise, you're going to other people's houses, and you're like, that's my baby! Psh, ring through the window, they're like, sir, we've told you eight times this week. It's not your baby! You've been doing this to every house within 500 yards of your own. 
you'd think if you found a baby on your property, you would just assume it was yours. Again, I guess that is bad. That's bad practice as well. Girl Scouts are showing up. You're like, oh, my daughter's back. Yeah, don't. Actually, I guess you probably shouldn't assume. But if I was in the middle of nowhere, i.e. Safford, Arizona, if I found a muddy baby out there, I would just assume it was mine. And then I just take it home. Cops are like, Jason, quit taking these babies. So anyway, she's in jail. And that's kind of that's kind of the end of that story. I really like that story. One, because the baby was saved. It wouldn't be a cool story if the baby disappeared. But two, like, reincarnation's cool and all, but I don't think you should use it as your criminal defense. I don't think you could be in court saying, sir, sir, my wife, I know she's missing. She's been missing for several days. But it was spontaneous human combustion, sir. You see that big burn in the middle of the floor? That smells like lighter fluid, and I own a lighter fluid distribution company. Coincidence, she was just walking through the house, and then she just kind of blew up and just disappeared. You won't find any evidence whatsoever. Don't use supernatural... I'm Actually, now that I'm thinking about that, it would be interesting to find out. I wonder if anyone has ever, in a defense case, like a criminal defense case... Cited missing 411, which is that conspiracy theory that the national parks, they have some sort of goblin running around in it or some... The theories are all different. Sometimes it's Bigfoot. Sometimes it's like some monster running around. Sometimes it's like camouflage U.S. soldiers. Sometimes it's uh, none of those. Just some other weird thing somebody made up. But I wonder if anyone has ever said, Your Honor, the reason why my wife is missing is because she went into a time vortex and never came out. And that may actually be true, right? Like, she's like, bye, honey, I'm off to... Like, at that point, would anyone believe you that that wife that you were having, like, marital problems with just happened to slip into the ninth dimension right before the divorce? Like, I wonder if anyone's ever used that. I don't I don't think so. And if they did, it didn't work. I don't think any judge would be like, I'll allow that. I'll allow the ninth dimension defense. That's a lot of precedent for that one. But yeah, if future criminals, I hope you're, I hope you're not future criminals, but don't use the paranormal as your excuse. Don't say, oh, I must have reincarnated. That's how it works, right? Uh, babies just kind of fall over and they die. And then they just reappear under piles of stuff. That's how I got that baby, remember? I was just walking down the street and I saw a wood pile, a little baby popped out of it. There's really no way to segue, segue from that one. I used to be so good at segues, but let's see. From babies popping out of piles to aliens giving guys smiles. But they don't they don't do that in the story. They actually terrify him. But it's a segue. Tayshana V, let's go ahead and hop in that dead rabbit dirigible. We are headed out to Virginia. We're flying out there. It's June 1997. It's 11.50 at night. So we're going to be hiking through the woods. And then I stop you. I put my hand put my hand on your shoulder and I go, stop. And as we're hiding in the woods, there's a dude walking alone through the woods. He has like his walking stick. Very suspicious. He's out at 1150 at night, I must say, although we are currently out late at night in the forest too. But do people really go for hikes that late at night unless they're like a vagabond or or a camouflage US soldier looking for another person to grab out of a national park? This guy's walking through the woods and he sees a clearing. UFO. It's just sitting there. It's like landed on the ground. So I guess the engines aren't running unless they're idling it. It's silent. It's just a UFO sitting there. And he can see it like there's little portholes in the UFO. And he's like, oh, man, what is that? I was looking for a baby. I was looking for a woodpile. I get a new baby. But 
Instead, I'll, I'll instead I'll look at these extraterrestrial visitors. They do kind of look like babies. So he's looking at these portholes, and he sees these little aliens walking around. He he describes them as children with big heads. So I would assume this is a gray alien type thing. That's the only description we get from this. Now he does the practical thing. We cover a lot of these stories. He does the most practical thing. He he turns, <laughs> makes a hundred and eighty degree turn, and takes off running through the woods. But before he can even get a few steps. He feels a hand on his shoulder, and it freezes him dead. He can't move any further. He spins around to face whatever it was grabbing him. Here is one of these aliens standing in front of this startled man in the middle of the woods. The alien looks at him and says, Find the others. And the next thing, the dude remembers he's waking up. Now, okay, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking, Jason. Did you just tell us about a dream? Maybe. I don't think so. I don't think so because when he woke up, there was a pine cone in his hand. And I made that detail up. I don't think he was dreaming just because otherwise I'm telling stories about dreams. It's possible, let's put on our conspiracy caps here, that this story is true and he wasn't dreaming. But aliens are known to drop people off at home because they're very, they're very polite. They're very polite aliens. They don't drop you off at a bus stop and take all your money and you're like, oh man. They dropped him off at home in his bedroom. Now, according to him, this was from thinkaboutitdocs.com, and they got it from New Fork, which is a UFO research organization. His story is, yeah, him (laughs) ending with him waking up in bed does throw a little salt on it. But I wanted to tell this story for this reason. The, The statement, find the others. Obviously, we have to wonder, like, who are the others? Are they other people like him? Are there other people who have dreams? Is it 7 billion people he has to find? Is it other alien abductees? Is, is there some other hidden purpose for finding them? But we could go on and on about that. I wanted to use this as a thought experiment. Because this is something that's I've thought about for a long time. What's worse? What's worse? Living in the world we live in. The mundane world. You wake up. You go to bed. You have dreams like this guy. You find babies in wood piles. It's just a normal... Actually, those are the outliers, right? You, you never find a baby in a wood pile, thankfully. But the world is really mundane. And that's the reason why we like ghost stories and alien stories and stuff like that. It gives us a glimpse of something more than what we know. Like, And even ghost stories and alien stories are so fleeting. We just kind of hear about them. You might have experienced them. I've had encounters with ghosts and paranormal stuff, but I've never seen an alien or anything like that. Never seen a U.S. soldier hit a button on his shirt, and then he decloaks, and he's like, "Welcome to, <laughs> welcome to this forest, Jason. Run!" And I hear a gun cock and an invisible gun. So I mean, like, we have like a, a thin veil of like paranormal stuff, but for the most part, the world's mundane, and you guys know what I'm talking about. What's worse, living in the mundane world that we live in, or living in a world where there are like superheroes, or vampires and werewolves exist. And because of that, there is a group of underground werewolf hunters, or vampire hunters who've been trained for generations to fight the forces of evil to keep them back. Or there actually is like a reptilian agenda. Right now there's some colonel, he's banging his hand on a table, and he's like, they will. That hurt my throat. So he talks in a normal voice, he goes, they will understand the true might of the reptilian army tonight. At 11.50, we're going to go out, we're all going to walk through the woods, we're going to attack anyone, and then, like, you have U.S. troops 
uncamouflaged. They're naked. They're running through the woods. And all this craziness is going on. But you're not part of it. You're still just a mundane dude. And every so often you pick up the newspaper and it's like the vampire hunters once again laid siege to Count Dracula's castle. He wasn't there. They will be back tomorrow. What's worse, living in a world where you kind of hope that stuff exists, but you really know that it doesn't. Like vampires and werewolves, sure, ghosts exist and aliens exist, but they exist again in such a fleeting sense. Versus a world where aliens and monsters are openly acknowledged. And you can read the newspaper every day, like you have the sports section, entertainment section, supernatural section. It's readily known. There's no debate over whether or not this stuff is true. But you're not a vampire hunter. You're not a werewolf hunter. You're not one of the soldiers fighting against. And you never can be. See, these were chosen people. These are people who have been fighting this war for eons. It's passed down. Da, da, da. What's worse? What what really is worse? I, 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 th- I thought about that before. Like, would it be worse to live in a world with no superheroes? Or a world with superheroes and supervillains, but you were still just a scrub. On the one hand, it would be cool to know that that stuff is real and to, like, look out your window and Iron Man's flying by. And you're like, what are you flying by my window for? Go to New York. Stop a bank robbery or something. But but you're just a dude in this world of super-powered beings. So when this alien says, find the others, that kind of sparked that memory back in me. Like, if this story is true, there's a certain group of special people out there. And statistically, it's not us. Like, that's one of the allure of conspiracy theories, and I've talked about this several times on the show. It gives us hidden knowledge. It makes us one of the elite. Gives us this knowledge that normal people don't have. That's why conspiracy theories attract a lot of people. And that's why they they are across age ranges. They are across political spectrums. It doesn't matter what culture you're from. There are conspiracy theories. They're very, very attractive. It makes us feel elite, but most of them are just bunk, right? Most of them are made up to swindle people out of money or to swindle people out of emotional energy. But what would be worse? That's my question for you. Would it be better that this guy had a dream and there are no find the others? That there's not a special amount of the few of us that the aliens have a vested interest in? Or would you like to live in a world where that is the case? Where there's a thousand people out of a population of seven billion who actually have a galactic fate that will someday stand on the bow of a spaceship going, I'm king of the world, as they slowly suffocate. They're like, oh, great, now we got to go find another other. But yeah, what would be worse for you? What would be worse for I honestly don't have an answer for that. I don't know. I actually kind of like life. I kind of like the world now, but at the same time, it would be pretty awesome if every so often I turn on the news, there's a giant robot just kicking buildings down the street. Not in my hometown, right? Not in my hometown. Like, you're just like, oh, once again, in Safford, Arizona, the wood pile, a bunch of babies form a giant baby. They have to bury it under a bunch of wood, cut down the whole Amazon rainforest. I kind of like that superhero world or that world where there's like these councils that have been set up, but I would feel really left out if I wasn't one of the chosen, right? If I saw a bunch of people flying around, I'd, I'd feel pretty left out. I mean, it's okay they're on an airplane. I'm not shaking my fist at a Cessna. But if I saw, like, if they were superheroes, I'd be like, oh, great. Now I feel even more worthless. I mean, I don't feel worthless now, but I would, I would feel worthless if everyone was flying around and I couldn't. So, Tayshana, let's call in that carpenter copter. We're going to leave behind this guy in the woods. He's like, no, no, help me. Help me serve my purpose. Ah, you can figure it out yourself, bro. I wonder if he's found the others by now. That story took place in 1997. 
Well, I guess we could ask him, but we're leaving. He's like, no, I have all the answers, everything you need to know. We're flying away. Tayshana, bring that carpenter copter nice and high. We are headed out to the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so let's sit down on some rocks here. We're going to enjoy the view out there. And I want to talk to you about selling your soul. Now, no, I'm not buying it. I'm not trying to convince you on this. We've talked about this a couple times on the show, and I thought... Let's really dive into this one. Let's really dive into this one. I've kind of mentioned it here and there, and I've done stories about people selling their souls and and what that could mean. It means you're selling out and stuff like that. But I thought, let's actually talk about, is is it possible to sell your soul? It's a very, very big topic. And what's shocking is there is no real information on the internet on how to do it. And you go, Jason, there's not a lot of information on how to build a transformer online. Because you can't do it. It's fake. But even the, there's not a lot of even fake information about it, which is interesting. Now, you have those websites that are dedicated and they'll show like the sigil for the like Balbareth or Azeroth or whatever, these demons, and they say, you draw this on the ground and your voice gets really creepy and low. And then you do this enchantment and then some dude shows up. And if you don't have all this stuff right, he's going to like beat the crap out of you. But if you do all this stuff right, that thin line of salt will keep this demon that's been around since before the Big Bang. But you can't walk past sodium. That's just the way it works. And he'll tell you questions. No, no, no. Anyone can do that. He'll answer your questions or give you untold riches or make you a, a great warrior and stuff like that. There's ton of ton of resources on that. But the colloquialism selling your soul to the devil. I kept looking this up and there was basically two answers that popped up all the time. One, you can't sell your soul to the devil. Because devil doesn't exist. I saw that a lot of time. If Obviously, if I'm Googling how to sell your soul to the devil, I'm not here for a... I'm not going to rational wiki. Like, you fine. Whatever. But that's just a trite answer. You're taking, you're taking up bandwidth. So one, you can't do it because he doesn't exist. Two, you can't do it because your soul is not yours to sell. It's God's. And three, you can sell your soul to the devil. Here's a story about Robert... Taylor, I think it was. He was a, a Robert Johnson. Sorry, I looked back over my notes. He was a blues player, and there's a famous story where he went to the crossroads and he wanted to be the best blues musician around. And he get and this big black dude shows up and takes Robert Johnson's guitar and tunes it and plays a couple notes, gives it back to Robert Johnson, and then he was the best blues player ever. And he wrote songs about the hellhounds were coming from and don't go to the crossroads, this guy might get you. He wrote songs about selling his soul and he ended up dying, I think, at 27. He was one of the members of the 27 Club, which is famous musicians dying at the age of 27. There's far more famous musicians that have lived past the age of 27 versus the, what is it, seven? They're up to seven or eight now. None of the Beatles died at 27, right? But anyways, so, I mean, that's just, all, that's pick and choose. I don't believe that there's the 27 Club. But you'll find that story a lot. And, and what's interesting is that story is not really considered to be him selling his soul to the devil. People say that he was practicing hoodoo. Because that wasn't the devil. It was just some dude or some spirit that showed up. And he, they say, well, he, he told that story, but they're saying he traded his soul for the fame. But there was none of that interaction in that story, right? It's just a guy, he's handing the guitar. There's no signing contract. When we think of selling your soul to the devil, we think of you are saying for X on earth, you can have my soul for eternity in hell. And I thought, 
why isn't there any way on how to do this? I had a couple different thoughts. I go, one, where did this story come from? Stories just don't spring up out of nowhere. But where does the story come from of being able to sell your soul to the devil? Because that's very, very common in Illuminati theory, which is people who believe the Illuminati's taken over the world or these uh, crazy cults that are focused on world domination. Do you have that going on? And then you also have Lady Gaga or Maroon 5. Or It's funny. It's never your favorite musician, right? It's the other people that you don't like. You're like, oh, man, Eminem sold his soul to the devil. But Tech 9 that guy's on the level. That guy, that guy who talks about chopping people up and put him in the trunk of his car, he would never sell his soul. It's always the musician you don't like. Adele totally sold your soul to the devil. Tori Amos, on the other hand, you know, so that's always this weird glitch to it. Other people can be famous, but because you like them, they're not part of this group. But the idea is they become famous because they sold their soul to the devil in exchange for riches. What's interesting is you never, at least I haven't, you hear about people selling their souls mostly to make it in the music industry. Then every so often you'll hear about actors selling their souls to make it in the film industry. But it's not as common. Think about it. Whenever you hear about those, oh, look at this, this Illuminati rituals in this music video, it's always music. How come you never hear it with athletes? I mean, I think I know the answer. But you don't. You ver- I, I can't think of a time I've ever heard, uh, and you, one of you guys may be able to figure one out, but even then it would be like one or two. When I look at Michael Jordan, he is not me. I can honestly say that he is a better basketball player than I am without even knowing he could play basketball. His size alone, I just go, oh, you're six foot, a thousand? You're, you would, must be great at basketball. So even without knowing they're an athlete, you can physically tell. Same thing with any sort of like defensive line man. You're not going to be like, oh, you must be great at tennis. They're like, what? There's a physical, I can physically look at you and go, you're perfectly built for your level of sport. And I'm not. I'm not. So the story doesn't make sense. If people started saying Michael Jordan sold his soul to be the best basketball player ever, you'd be like, that and genetics. Like, did he sell Did he sell his soul in the womb? Did he sell his soul when he was a zygote floating around in his mom? Because he was genetically bred. He was just a giant man. But, but, I said I would tell you how to sell your soul to the devil, and um, I will. I will sell, tell you how to sell your soul to the devil. So here we go. Get a, get a pen and paper, because here we go, guys. The answer was in front of us all along. If you ever want to know how to sell your soul to the devil, the answer was in front of us all along. You can find, I'm sure you can find early versions of people selling their souls to some sort of pagan god or something like that in like ancient Mesopotamia. But when we think about the devil, the devil as a character, really was introduced, his first co-starring role was the Bible. And in the Bible, there is a deal with the devil. And it actually tells us how to do it. Jesus at one point goes, you know what? I got to do some stuff. I got to do some spiritual stuff. Disciples, you hang out here. I'm going to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm going to eat nothing. When I come back, we're going to change the world. And they're like doing bro fists and stuff like that. He's like, yeah, yeah, Judas is standing in line. Jesus is like... Okay, this is the last brofist, Judas. You better not, you better not trick me again. Judas is like, what? No, never, dude. He's doing the brofist with crossed fingers. Jesus is like, oh, great. It sucks knowing the future. So Jesus walks into the wilderness and he doesn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. And lo and behold, the devil shows up. First, the devil says, hey, Jesus, I know you got all these magical powers and stuff. 
See those rocks? Those rocks that a bunch of podcast people are going to be sitting on a couple thousand years from now? Those rocks? Turn them to loaves of bread. You eat them. Who would know? Right? You didn't bring anything with you. Disciples will never know, bro. And Jesus is like, nah, dude, that's cool. I don't need no bread. <laughs> He's actually starving at this point. He turns around, he wipes a tear from his eye. He's like, uh, yeah, it's Satan. That didn't work. And then Satan goes, okay, you didn't fall for the bread trick. <laughs> that was my number one trick. That was my ace in the hole. Let's see. What else can I do? What else can I come up with? How about this? See that cliff? Jump off of it. Because you know and I know. That God won't let you die. You are God. You're part of this Trinity thing. This new this new thing he's trying to finagle into the world. So jump off that. A bunch of angels will show up, bro. Now that's kind of a dumb one, right? Because <laughs> he's still starving to death. He's like, oh, if there's like a jelly bean factory at the bottom of the cliff, I might. But he says no, because we're actually told not to test God. Like, you are right. If I jumped off that cliff, a bunch of angels would show up and save me. But we shouldn't test God. And then Satan tries to make a deal with Jesus, which is the same deal that Rihanna and Lady Gaga and Eminem and all these other people have take, supposedly taken. The devil goes, look out into the wilderness, and you see those cities out there, those sparkling cities, the empires of man. I will give them to you, and you will be their king. All you have to do is bow before me. The main scope of the... Of the deal was i will give you everything if you acknowledge me as king and jesus doesn't do that and he walks back and he tells the disciples it's go time and <laughs> can i have some spaghetti can i eat something can somebody invent spaghetti thank you so there it is actually i honestly think this is what's so funny about this i think that is how you make a deal with the devil the first point of it is you have to contact him and there is no legitimate spell that I've ever seen to contact Lucifer. Even those huge, and someone could point that I'm wrong on this, but even those huge lists of like all the demons you can work sigils with, they'll have like Beelzebub, they'll have all these other things. But actually, and even that stuff is like he'll show up and help you find lost pocket watches. Like those demons have the weirdest traits possible. They have these weird superpowers that no one would ever want to use. They'll help you draw an atlas. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I just Google Earth that. So, I mean, sure, it might have been awesome in 1588, but not anymore. I hope they updated their stuff. But an actual deal with the devil, the idea of selling your soul for all the riches in the world, that idea. And there are some demons that will give you money. But again, this idea of uh, what I'm talking about specifically, selling your soul for the devil, I think, according to this part of the scripture, you have to go 40 days without eating. And that's brilliant. That's brilliant, because I'm going to tell you guys this. If you're thinking about making a deal with the devil, what you're really looking for is a shortcut to success. A deal with the devil, whether it's figurative, like you're selling out to be a better musician, you used to be a R&B star, but then someone told you you need to get fake boobs and a big butt and change it up to hip-hop. That's selling your soul, you're selling your original vision, and it gets you to success faster. This is the same thing. In a literal selling your soul to the devil, you go, I could work really hard all these years, try to make it as a musician, it's not guaranteed, or I can sell my soul to the devil and become successful tomorrow. But it's a cheat, right? And if the cheat requires you to go 40 days without eating, no one would do it. Because in those 40 days of not eating, if you took, first off, 
don't don't do this. I mean, you could go 40 days without eating with the right supplements, but I'm not advising. <laughs> this is not a medical podcast. But you know what I'm saying? Like, if you want to take a shortcut in life, going 40 days without eating is so much work. That's the ritual to make the devil appear. I 100%. If, if there is a way to make the devil appear, I think it was hidden in that passage. If anyone's selling the soul to the devil, they're going 40 days without eating. I, th- I honestly think that might be the right step. Not Okay, let me back up. Not the right step. I honestly think that that is the key to activating this. And it would require so much willpower and so much hard work to go 40 days without eating that you might as well pick up that guitar and just really, really practice for 40 days and see where you're at. And then do another 40 days and another 40 days after that. Because I'll tell you right now, that's way less work than not eating for 40 days. And it's also a lot more healthy for you. So sure, it's possible that you'll be on the cusp of success, or maybe not. Maybe you're just sitting home lazy one day, the devil appears in your living room and says, I have plans for you. But it's very, very unlikely. Really, it looks like you have to summon him to sell your soul to the devil. And to do that, the first step is incredibly hard. Most humans could never even survive this, to go 40 days without eating. It would be one hell of a weight loss diet. But in the end, you lose more than your weight. You lose your soul. But the funny thing is, is that your soul isn't yours to give up. It's almost this cosmic joke. Because you can sell your soul to the devil and become rich and famous and repent, right? That's always the out clause. Then you pray to God and you're like, give me my soul back. And God's like, sends down Michael, his bouncer, his official bouncer. He goes down, he's beating up demons, grabs the contract. That's the logic, right? You could sell your soul to the devil, get everything you wanted, and then just convert to your the religion of your choice. That's always that out clause. But you know what's funny? I've actually done a ton of research. I, I cannot fit it all into this episode, but I've been researching how to sell your soul to the devil for years, for almost over a decade. I might actually do another episode about other theories involving it, but I wanted to touch on this one here, but... The interesting story is I've, I've read a lot about people who've sold their soul to the devil, who they believe literally sold their soul to the devil. They never revealed how they invoked them. They'd always talk about this. And they would say, that was my plan, was to convert at the ending. But I had done so much evil after I sold my soul to the devil. I did so much evil. I hurt so many people that I never would have hurt before. I did disgusting things to truly innocent people. That the last thing I could think of was getting on my knees and praying to God, asking him to forgive me. A disgusting piece of garbage. I betrayed him for material gain. It's been 30 years. I've done horrible things. And I know if I humbled myself before God, everything would go back to normal. Like the sins that I had committed would be there. And the people that I had hurt would carry those scars. But I would be washed in the glory of God. But they never do. That act is so humbling. And you're basically, you have smashed up your parents' house, slaughtered the dog, killed the neighbors. Then you walk up to your parents and you hold out blood-stained hands and go, I'm so sorry. The shame is so great that they can never walk back to their parents. They just walk out into the wilderness. That's the greatest trick, really. 
You sell something you don't own. And you're prompted to do horrible things to keep your level of success. And the longer you're successful, the more horrible things you have to do. And at any point in time, you can stop, turn around, and ask for forgiveness. And that is actually the hardest thing to do. You can be forgiven. But you have to ask for it. You can be forgiven for your sins. And even though that thought may be terrifying to you, the fact that you will have to humble yourself and fall on your knees once again and pray for peace in your heart, as scary as that thought is, it's much more terrifying to be under the thumb of a bean that gave you a few decades of riches for a soul that will last until the end of endless time. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.